Um, I built all the tech and I'm not developer. I built it with no code tools, which are on the up now, basically. Um, and I didn't take investment outside capital until we were almost 10,000 in, in monthly recurring revenue. And I built it from zero to there with only 105 pounds. And I, I wasn't a marketer. I wasn't a coder. I, I figured it out, you know, as I was going along and just got it done. We've got so much to pack into today's show. We're talking to Joel, the founder of MindUp, as he tackles two big conundrums. The fact that there's no single solution to mental health and removing the barriers that people find are in the way of access to mental health support. Then we're looking back at Unleash World in Paris and have a pretty exciting announcement around Tech Talks Extra and a whole bunch of content that we recorded there. And finally, we're looking forward to Web Summit, which kicks off now in a little under three weeks. This is Tech Talks with myself, David Savage, powered by Nash Squared, where we bring you the latest ideas from leaders across our industry. Joining me on today's show, we have a new guest host. Well, not a new guest host. You've been on the show before, so I shouldn't say no. Uh, new, rather. No. <laughs> Great <laughs> start. you can edit this. <laughs> Apparently, I've got COVID. <laughs> um, last week, Jess was with me in Paris. How are you? I'm doing good. <laughs> you haven't got COVID, have you? Well, not so far. Anyway, I haven't tested, but I will do. I'm putting it off, though, until this evening. I think I should leave all of this in because it shows where my state of mind is right now. Yeah, so that people, you can, like, get away with feeling foggy-headed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, listeners. Um, no, Jess was with me last week uh, whilst we were in uh, Paris for Unleash World, uh, which is one of the largest gatherings of HR tech and people professionals, talent acquisition professionals. Um very much focused around tools and technology helping those organizations. It was a lot of fun. Anything that surprised you? Um, I wouldn't say surprised, but I do think there was there was a few interesting things um by way of of themes and common themes around um where the talent pool is going and what people of this new wave, if you like, of of workforce that's coming to the forefront and what drives them. And um, I think we all know that generation or there's even one after that are driven quite differently in terms of what their motives are generation alpha alpha that's coming through apparently which is the wankiest name can you say that word (laughs) um we do know that they are like driven by slightly different motives but it was interesting to see that really um like solidified and like spoken about it's such a massive conference where it's people that are hiring this new generation and being told that actually finances aren't the most important or actually your company title isn't the most important it's about what your mission is what your purpose is then it's about doing what they love then it's about your company and then finally it's about what they can get paid to to do that so it's a total flip so I thought that was interesting for it to be so well recognized in such a large forum and then also the other thing for me was there was so much talk about like covid and unprecedented times which is almost like old news at this stage because it feels like mm. well, apart from the fact that you now have covid but it feels like you know <laughs> we've moved on from that going, mm, yeah. yeah yeah we've like moved on from that and but what i thought was interesting about that wasn't just that we were speaking about it but it's like cool that's happened we've dealt with that now we're on to the next thing we're on to silent quitting we're on to mass recessions we're on to that and now we're like dealing with that so it's quite interesting to be like the biggest thing that happens within the employment space in the last god in a lifetime has been COVID and how that changed how everyone works and what that changed in the talent market and now it's almost like cool done tick moving on from that what's next so it just shows how fast the market moves and how on top of the game all of 
you know, your HR professionals, your talent acquisition professionals, anyone who works in the space needs to be because things can change so massively so fast. But actually, it's old news pretty quickly as well. And we're on to the next the next wave or the next change, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, look, we've got plenty of chat about Unleash coming up because whilst we were there, uh, we recorded um, 11 interviews in total. Um, nice. So we've got lots and lots of insight on the back of the conference to go over. Yeah. Uh, and we've got some clips that we'll play later on the show. But beforehand, our main guest is Joel uh, from MindUp, who are also at Unleash. This recording, however, wasn't from Unleash. This is from several weeks ago um, in our offices in London. But nonetheless, they were there at Unleash too. So yeah. we will play our interview with MindUp. Then we'll have a chat about that. And then we'll have another chat in a bit more detail about Unleash. So today I'm joined by Joel, uh, founder and CEO, co-founder or founder? Uh, solo founder. Solo founder yeah. of MindUp. Tell us a little bit about who MindUp are first. So um, MindUp, we're stopping the one-size-fits-all approach to mental health mm -hmm. and we offer live one-to-one -one video sessions across the entire mental health spectrum. It's everything from your traditional and clinical therapy, counselling, psychotherapy, then all the way through to your life, executive coaching, meditation and mindfulness. Why, mm -hmm. why in the mind? It's spelled M-Y-N-D, if anyone's searching for MindUp whilst they're listening. Yeah, good question. I mean, I went through lots of iterations of name naming conventions and I've always liked to be different and have a play on words. Like my previous business was called Fruity, spelled F-R-U-U-T-E-A. So I've always <laughs> liked to be sort of like unique, different on it and sort of, um, yeah, have a play on things as well. So you're a serial entrepreneur. You've had a couple of different uh, businesses so far. Yeah. Why Why this one? Why, why, why mind up at this stage of your life? So it's the only business that I've done that I'm actually truly passionate about. Mm -hmm. And that stems from my own journey with it. Um, just to give you a bit of context, my previous business, say Fruity, I didn't actually use the product myself and it was a tea, a fruit tea drink company. So You must have tried the products, come on. <laughs> yeah, I tried the products. But even my friend said to me, he said, you know, you you don't drink it sort of on a regular basis sort sure. of thing. And I, I agreed. I said, does that matter? And I was sort of questioning that. And till this business, I've really realized doing something you're passionate about takes you through those hardships and those hard points in your sort of startup career mm -hmm. to really get through them as well and gives you a real purpose of fulfillment every single day of your life. And th the reason that this business does mean so much to me is because I was working in a global corporate on a grad scheme and out of the blue, I actually had like an undiagnosed health condition that mm -hmm. lasted eight months being undiagnosed and going around in circles in the NHS, they were trying to find it. And basically my quality of life decreased so much that I couldn't live a normal life for a certain period of time at a young age. And it then affected my mental health so much so that I had depression that wouldn't go away. And that, again, it was the first time I'd not only had this physical illness that wouldn't go away, but also then a mental illness at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I reached out to my company to see if they could support me. And they had over 50,000 employees around the world. So I thought they definitely have something robust in place. But Unfortunately, they didn't. I was passed to HR from my manager and then they passed me to Occupational Health who had long wait times and all they offered at the end of it was just counselling. So because of the long wait times, I actually then, um, and, and big sort of barrier to entry as well, I ended up paying for counselling privately because mm -hmm. I thought that would be the solution if my company were offering it. And to my surprise, it didn't work for me. Even the counsellor said, you know, what you're describing you need, going from A to B and looking at the future rather than dwelling on the past too much and having more solutions is actually life coaching and mindfulness mixed together. So you need to go and find that person and that practitioner. 
So I then set on a journey to go and find that person. And after several more weeks, came across a guy called Jermaine Harris. And he totally saved and changed the whole of my life around. So it's from that moment onwards that I set on a mission to do two things. And that will show the world there's no single solution to mental health, but also change the way organisations are doing things by reducing and lifting any stigma and also any barriers to mental health support as well. It's interesting. I'll be very kind of honest with you. I can very much relate to the situation you found yourself in because I have been misdiagnosed twice and are still going on that journey of a diagnosis for a a physical, unknown physical health uh, issue over the last two years. Right. Okay. So I get I get a lot of where you're coming from with yeah. this, and I'm I'm lucky to have been in a business that's been pretty damn supportive. Yeah. Um, but how do most organisations, when you approach them with this solution, respond? Because I don't know. There's 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 a cost of living crisis. There's all sorts of other noise at the moment. Yes, mental health is on the agenda, but this would feel like it's it's another added layer beyond perhaps what they might perceive that they they need to offer their employees as it stands. Yeah, so it's a great question and some employers love it straight away. Other employers think, you know, we think we've got enough, let's hold out for now and then see and sort of, you know, nothing might change in six months and they'll come back to us or, you know, some employers say we think we've got everything and they might come back to us in 18 months, for instance, Mm -hmm. or 12 months. And I think the key thing is with the cost of living crisis, with everything, it's only making mental health issues worse. Right. And, and it's been proven now in several studies with Financial Times, Deloitte, Vitality, lots of different reports that have come out over the last couple of years that better employee outcomes and supporting your employees in that better environment creates better business outcomes as well. And um, so we've seen now Deloitte have said in their latest report, 2022, that if you invest in mental health solutions, on average, you can return five pounds for every one pound spent. Um, which is fantastic, you know, and and that comes in terms of reducing presenteeism, absenteeism, stress, anxiety, depression at work. So it comes hand in hand, really, where, and and we've proven that as well at MindUp, you know, over 97% of um, our employee users either reduce stress and anxiety and depression or boost productivity. Mm -hmm. So for employees, it's better, but then for employers, it's better as well. I suppose from a practical point of view, how how does it work? Because there's Increasingly, there are kind of a marketplace of different products that organizations can can make their employees aware of. But then keeping that front and center and making sure that people actually use those services yeah. is, is another trick in itself. Exactly. Yeah. So the way the market is at the moment, it's very interesting. You've got a lot of dominance in insurance companies and employee assistance programs. Right now, one of the key things is that they use the low um, low utilization model. Now, what that means is um they basically make more money by people not using the service. Mm. If an insurance company had 100% of a population that, let's say, a big corporate using the service, you know, they could go bankrupt if that happened in multiple different companies, right? So they're incentivized people to not use it. Whereas at MindUp, our revenue is actually linked to usage. So our goals are aligned to the goals of HR and the company, you see, at helping employees. So it's, it's fantastic because we've sort of gone away from the status quo in that in that sense where a lot of our competitors are you know using the low utilization model where i wanted to make it that you know if people are using it we make you know more revenue and stuff which makes sense whereas if we if people aren't using it we don't want to just take you know full margin and be incentivized people not using it you see so that's one of the key things why our engagement is actually nine times higher than the industry mm-hmm. at mind up going back to that point on being a founder versus co-founder because obviously 
talking there about the engagement model, why it's working. You you launched in, maybe you didn't launch, but April 2019, according to LinkedIn, is when the company started. When did you actually launch? Yep, so April 2019, founded it as an idea. Right. And then February 2020, we launched. So since then, just looking at some of the accolades, um, Barclay Startup Entrepreneur of the Year 2021, uh, Tech Nation Rising Star 2020, uh, winner of the 2021 London Stock Exchange Group Mentoring Programme. Obviously, a huge amount of traction, of momentum there. You said that this is the first business you've been passionate about, but why do you think this has worked and worked so well when you're a solo founder versus being perhaps part of a co-founding team on previous ventures? Yeah, so both my previous companies had co-founders. First one had one, second one had two. I think the key thing for me with this one is that I took a lot of learnings from those first two. Mm -hmm. I then also joined a startup accelerator program when this was an idea. Um, It was like an entrepreneur development accelerator program called the New Entrepreneurs Foundation run by the Center for Entrepreneurs. And it was fantastic. What they did is they place you in a startup. So you get on the job training. You then run your startup as a side hustle. And then every two weeks um, for a whole day, you get to um, go to a workshop with 40 other entrepreneurs in your cohort for a whole year. And they have top uh, people speaking from the industry and CEOs of companies and um, management. And they teach you about certain topics as well. So you get on the job training, classroom training, and you're in a cohort of people, which is fantastic. And um, they've got a really great network of mentors and advisors. And one of my mentors, with Mind Up With Just An Idea, was a managing director at Blackstone, mm-hmm. and he's mentored me since the before the business started even was launched, and he's led every investment round to date. And it's it's having those advisors and mentors around me um, that have been phenomenal. And one of our early shareholders was um, a guy called Arpit, and he was incredible. He was the former head of marketing at Microsoft, and he was mentoring me again before the business started as well. So I had these people to lean on. If I need advice, I can go to them or go to my, you know, cohort people that I'm on um, the entrepreneur development program with and if I'm ever stuck I can ask them but I run the show and that was a great thing for me because I always like a lot of autonomy in everything I do and not being held back and that was the perfect setup for me really with this business because I I knew the deep problem of what it was in a corporate I need to solve because I'd been through it and knew that lots of other people in my market research before I started the business had this problem as well. And I also validated the idea with lots of expert practitioners as well. And they loved it, which was great. And we had a big waiting list of people waiting to join us in terms of practitioners. And that was a great setup for me, really, where I'd have those advisors if I need anything, but I'm running the show on a day-to-day basis. So it's really interesting because there is no right or wrong answer to this, right? Like, you know, you can can be part of a co-founding team and it'd be really positive. You can be a solo founder and obviously have your experience. Yeah. I I suppose when you've got people who are looking at how to be a successful entrepreneur, how to build a business, they're looking at everyone else's playbook and trying to create their own playbook, kind of taking little bits of what everyone else has done. Yeah. What do you think people should bear in mind when, when, if they've got an idea and they're going, well, do I need a co-founder because I don't have the technical skill set or I don't have the business acumen or something like that. Yeah. What what decision do you think it comes down to mm-hmm. about whether or not it's go it alone or have a team around you? It's a really difficult one because as you say, both are both are correct. Um, so and it just depends on I think the situation you're in, because every situation is different, right? If if you've got a product that needs, you know, deep tech experience 
could be quite difficult for you to do. But if it's say a product like MindUp, you know, you, you'd think you'd have to build an app or some crazy website and to get it all going off the ground. I bootstrapped the company with just 105 pounds of capital when in the business. Um, I built all the tech and I'm not a developer. I built it with no code tools, which are on the up now, basically. Um, and I didn't take investment outside capital until we were almost 10,000 in, in monthly recurring revenue. And I built it from zero to there with only 105 pounds. And I, I wasn't a marketer. I wasn't a coder. I, I figured it out, you know, as I was going along and just got it done. And that, and that was the key thing is um, surrounding yourself with the right network, the right people. Um, and if you do find the right co-founder, right person that can complement your skill set, great. But if you don't, you don't just have to force it. You know, um, I think a lot of people have this sort of vision that you must have a co-founder in your startup journey. Otherwise, you know, you statistically, you're not going to make it. For instance, you know, I've seen a lot of stats online around it. Well, you know, I think there's there's no right or wrong way to do it. And it's whatever works for you in that situation. You know, my next business, it might have a co-founder because I might have the perfect person to do it with that I've worked with and trust before. But having that trust element, I think, in a co-founding role is key because, um they do say that a lot of businesses do fail because of co-founder conflict. So you've also got that element that comes into play. You're scaling the business as we speak. Yeah. As you said there, you've, you've built it from, from zero to where it is today. Your revenue model is, is linked to the success of the, the HR teams and the clients that you're working with. How do you know the right moment to scale and for it to be successful? Yeah, so it's a very good question. Um, I think it's baby steps, really. So, you know, you have to, at every stage, test different things. So firstly, traction and feedback is going to be key in every client you do. Every client we launched into, we didn't just launch and just forget about it and assume things went well. We gathered data, we gathered feedback, and we made data-driven decisions. You know, we listened to our customers, listened to our clients, and, you know, pivoted the product, doubled down on what worked, went really well, folded certain aspects that didn't and just kept making and evolutionizing the business as we went along. And we launched into the company, we did that. We then launched into the next company and we did that. And we just kept repeat, rinse and repeating that again and again and again until, you know, we are continuously fulfilling the customer's needs more and more and more. And the business just became stronger and stronger throughout. And I think the key thing is not being emotionally attached to certain things in your business. You know, if customers are telling you, I love this feature, I love it, and you're getting that 100 different times, and they hate this other feature, you know, you've got to be dynamic and move and adapt in this environment. Now, coming back to that personal perspective, um, obviously, one way for an organization to support mental health and to support invisible uh, illnesses is to sign up to MindUp. Yeah. However, putting that to one side and putting the, putting the sales pitch for, the, for, the, for your own business to one side, generally speaking... How do you think organizations can support someone like you or I who might have something in the background that is at the back of their minds or, or does affect them on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, great question. And I think the key thing is not having a singular solution. So, you know, if say you have an insurance company and they offer just therapy, you know, we know that mental health cannot be treated as one size fits all. And it's now actually clinically proven in academic research as well, um, which is amazing to see. Uh, so... The key thing is having a broad spectrum of solutions so people can choose not only the right person that can help them, the right specialism. And it's that specialism at that point in your life, you know, because CBT therapy might help you at one point in your life, but then you go through something else and you might need executive coaching or life coaching or counseling. So 
the key thing is having that broad spectrum, treat mental health very holistically, so then people can actually choose what is going to be right for them at that point in their life. Mm -hmm. And whilst that's the advice to organisations, which is good advice to make sure that they offer those range of services, what about the individual? Because you might not be in a position to influence who your HR company buys as a service, and you might not know where to look for help. So if someone's listening and they have got something going on, but they don't have the support that we're talking about, where can they look for help, for help and advice? It's a great question. And this is the problem we're trying to solve in the industry. There's a, if you look at the competitive landscape, no one is truly offering the full range of, spectr of spectrum mental health solutions like we are. There's some companies that are offering just one or two or singular focused. And that is the thing we are solving at Mind Up, And that's why I create the business to actually stop this one size fits all approach that is just happening mm. in the industry. And it is very difficult. If you go to, you know, one platform for therapy and then you think you want coaching, you try and go to another platform, it can take you weeks and weeks and weeks and create a big risk, you know, if the individual is at a risk themselves, you know. So I think um, the cumulative effect of that and going out to having to do your own research, that is one thing that I'm passionate about solving. And we do need more companies that are offering truly the broad spectrum. So you have an all-in-one platform to go to. Was there anywhere that you looked before creating MindUp that you found good advice, good direction, that was a, that was a good source of a, a community or a, or a or a bank of of kind of ideas and and tips that was actually kind of helpful. Yeah, I mean the thing is, it was a lot of manual research and it it was very difficult. I, I it took me three weeks of continuous calls research when I was in a very vulnerable place to actually find Jermaine, and it, it was even very difficult to find if he would be any good or not, and I had to take a big risk and. Mm didn't have a lot of savings at that time, you know, to spend on things. And I was getting quotes from coaches, you know, £12,000 for their course and things. It was ridiculous. And as a young person, I couldn't afford, you know, to spend that much. And there was a lot of price exploitation in the life coaching industry, as well as thinking, is life coaching the thing that I need? And I need a mixture of coaching and mindfulness. And where do I go for that? And it was a lot of manual research. So it was a lot of playing around, going around manually, trying to find websites that were good and at the end of the day, it was just trial and error for me. And, and that is actually why I did Create Mind Up to actually have a you know safe, vetted environment where you mm -hmm. can actually find someone, but also stopping the price exploitation in, say, you know, the life coaching space, because we've seen, you know, some of the industry averages coming out over £200 an hour for life coaching sessions on Mind Up. You can access them for £71 an hour and, and uh, £40 for half an hour, which is phenomenal. So I'm also passionate about, you know, stopping that exploitation too in that space. Well, look, I, I really appreciate you giving up some time and talking to me today. I think um, to anyone who is, is possibly doubting themselves, hearing from someone who is open about the fact that they were in a vulnerable place with no money and, and no real experience in this to going to where you are today and those accolades that we, we mentioned earlier is, is, is truly um, inspiring to hear. So thanks for your time. No problem at all. Okay. Well, I love, I love the two kind of mission statements almost i don't know whether it's mission statements but we, he wants to show the world that there is no single solution for mental health and that you can lift barriers for access i think that's pretty um pretty awesome given that actually a lot of organizations aren't providing the services that perhaps people need right now mm -hmm. yeah mind ups a mind ups a really interesting one for me because i actually so i i came across mind up a few months ago and obviously started the conversation with them. What I love about them is it really 
resonates with me. So similarly to Joel, the founder was obviously driven by like his own experience with the healthcare system and his mental health. I had quite a similar experience during like the lockdown, as I'm sure many people did, but I don't think anyone talks about it that openly as Joel does but a lot of people really really struggled and I fell off a cliff during lockdown like really fell off a cliff edge Um, and for a long time was doing the wrong type of therapy but I only knew one type of therapy and what I love about MindUp is that it shows you all the different options and gives you more access to different types of help that I think a lot of people don't even know exist genuinely. So what I ended up doing cognitive behavioral therapy, which really, really helped me, I didn't know was a thing and never existed. And I just happened to stumble on it after a year of really, really struggling. Um, And that's why I love Mind Up because Mm. it brings all of that to the forefront. So you don't even half the time when you're in that position you don't know what you're looking for for help like you you don't know where to begin with it and you need something that's going to almost come to you and that's what that's what mind up does really really well is it gives you real accessibility to a whole host of different support systems ones that you don't yeah. even know exist um so that you can get the help and the treatment and the support in the area that you need it and when you need it so i, I look I love them. I think it's absolutely great. It's something I wish I had had access to two years ago. You know, I think it's brilliant. I'm going to show myself here to be a horrible snob. Oh no, an, ig- in, an ignorant snob. Let's put it that like like that. Um, I think this this mission to to rid us of stigma is brilliant. We've been going on about that on the podcast for years. Mm-hmm. And like you, I was fairly unaware. Kind of if if someone says to me counseling then it's like oh that's that's what you need that's yeah that's that's helpful and i know that there are other ways of helping people yeah when someone says to me life coaching yeah i'm quite dismissive of it i'm quite like really yeah life coaching like that's what people advertise on you know linkedin with no zero qualifications yeah yeah yeah. all this kind of and frankly in my mind kind of bs that goes with it and i i kind of go that's not very helpful and i think there's a bit of slightly dangerous inverted snobbery there around actually what what makes up um Mm. really good access to mental health and what works for different people and i think i think joel is really is really um mature and brave to point out that it isn't a one-size-fits-all approach and actually we're all very different and i need to readdress what i think about um things like mindful well not not so much mindfulness i know that's helpful although i don't really know how it works but certainly life coaching and this is the thing like i i, I count myself as fairly well educated in this area yeah. and clearly i'm not yeah yeah but again it's like something that i would have thought i was pretty well educated in and i would have been the first one to say oh if you're struggling go and talk to somebody or you know go and research this and then when it actually comes to yourself i think it's much much harder to like see the wood from the trees when you're in it um but like even mindfulness for example like mindfulness means so many different things to so many different people and you know mindfulness may be like meditation or silent time that is a nightmare for the way my brain works like I work in 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 sales and growth and I'm high really reactive like that's a nightmare for me if I sit and try and be silent or in silent for 10 minutes my brain goes into a spiral and I end up in a hole so actually that doesn't work for me so something like life coaching works much better because it's like someone talking through what are you thinking how are you approaching this where are you aiming for so again it's like different as you say like it's different size for for different people and yeah I think Joel is and he's so young (laughs) you know he's so he's like 
an old wise owl on this like young person. God, it's disgusting, isn't it? I know, it? <laughs> he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he, you know, he's he's got such a, yeah, such a, a wise head on his shoulders. But I think that's because he's been through some things. Um, so yeah, but I think it's great. I think every business should have it genuinely. I think if you can give yeah. access to something like that to all of your employees, going back to what we were saying at the beginning of this about Unleash and, you know, Gen Z and Gen Alpha being driven by different things. It supports systems like this that are going to be so, so, so important moving forward. And to be able to provide that to your employees, I think is what is going to differentiate you. And just moving away for a minute from from the core mission and, and kind of mental health, how awesome is someone with zero experience of doing any of the things that you think you need to do to be able to build a company and bootstrapped it with £105? I know. Like... He's wow. mad. Like when he kind of go, oh, it's really, I, I can't, yeah, I can't possibly, you know, in terms of like yeah. talking about barriers and lifting barriers. Yeah. If you've got a really good idea, here's someone, 105 quid in the account. Um, uh, no real discernible like, track record or experience or skills, as he says, around marketing and so on. Yeah. And he did it. Yeah. He did it to, to the point that, you know, wait until they had 10,000 recurring revenue before he got capital investment. Like, yeah, that is seriously impressive. Yeah, yeah. But I think, again, it comes with the it comes with the territory of like being mis- mission driven. Like I think in his head and the way he talks about it, like so passionately, he didn't have a choice. He knew there was some like there was a problem that needed to be fixed. And it was something that would really impact a lot of people and help a lot of people. So I think in his head, he was like, right, I've just got to make this work. <laughs> I don't know how, but I'm just going to make it work. And I think it does drive people in a different way. Like it, it, it just, it wasn't an option to not do something about it because he had a lived experience of that system. And he just went, right, no, this is broken. I, I need to do something to fix it for other people moving forward. So yeah, it is so impressive. But again, like we say, he's just an impressive guy. It's so nice. <laughs> he's so lovely, <laughs> which also helps. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Make, makes you really, really like, damn. Yeah, it makes you I look horrible. It makes together you look absolutely miserable. <laughs> <laughs> oh no no it's awesome and it's an awesome story and it was brilliant to see them in paris last week yeah um which brings us on to the second part of the show we're going to play a clip a short clip a minute and a half three excerpts from our 11 interviews um you're going to hear from airbnb version one and recruiting future uh in this short medley mega mix of what we recorded in paris um and we'll just come up with some thoughts afterwards And what we're going to encourage you to do is sign up, if you have a look in the show notes, to our new private channel. Uh, So what you can do is you can drop us your email and we will send you the private RSS for Tech Talks Extra, where all of this content, because not only have we got this, but we've got Web Summit coming up, we're going to be going to the States, we've got all sorts of additional content that we cannot fit into our weekly show it's going to be on a private subscription-only channel. All you need to do is drop us your email. It's not a subscription in terms of money, but loads and loads of content for you to dive into. Anyway, play this bit of info, and then myself and Jess will be back. What would you say to those organisations to say, as you scale, you need to spend more time together, and this isn't going to work? I think I would say give it a try. I mean, it, it will work. It will work if you let it work. If you empower and trust your employees that they will do it right, even if you don't see them, even as you scale, it will work. You got you got to give it a shot. It will work because we know it will for us. I think that authenticity piece that you talked about is difficult to do when you're scaling. So how do you make it feel real? 
feel fair, feel, you know, personal. I think when you're scaling beyond a few hundred people, that's very hard to do. So I think that's something that people are grappling with is um, how do you do recognition at scale but make it meaningful for people. The message that has really come through for me is that organizations now realize that technology is the thing that will enable them and enable their business strategy rather than particularly HR technology, recruitment technology, um, rather than being a kind of a nice to have expensive, um, expensive item. So it feels in lots of ways that the, the industry is kind of is growing up and you know kind of really helping organizations during these very sort of very disruptive times that we're going through yeah well look it's been a pleasure to catch up with you again i think i think the challenge of keeping your culture uh consistent but at the same time steadily evolving while scaling is a really good one to draw attention to both airbnb q there and um and version one talking about you know culture reward and recognition being a really hard thing to do and authenticity being really important and reward and recognition was one of the big things that came out of that conference mm. last week so many organizations talking about getting reward and recognition right yeah yeah and i think you know it's it's a part i i randomly were just happened to be walking into the conference and um, with a lady that works in that space right and her whole role is just rewards she's global rewards partner for a massive manufacturing company and that's all she looks after and she was kind of saying that it's a constant um battle almost to to get a seat at the table for that because it's such a new space to be seen as just a sole job and a sole responsibility because hr as we know is, is so so broad um and actually that space of rewards and recognition just hasn't been that well i suppose supported um, up until now but even then when you looked around the show like the amount of platforms that are coming out that solely focus on that and building that culture but I think that comes from the pandemic and everyone working remotely because no longer can reward and recognition be done in the office to say hey thanks for that or you know here's lunch on us you've got to be really proactive about it because everyone's for the most part, still working from home or working from wherever it is their their independent office spaces. So you've got to be really, um, yeah, really forthright with how you recognise and reward people because it's not as easy as a well done over a coffee, <laughs> you know. So it's good to see that it's it's being carved out as it's in its own right. But yeah, I think it's um, I don't think that's necessarily organic growth. I think that is part of of the whole remote teams and remote working. Do you agree with uh, Recruiting Futures um, host Matt Alder there saying that um, the industry is growing up around HR tech? Mm, yes and no. I think I think HR tech and rec tech, my background was, was rec tech, so I've kind of been in and around that sphere for a while. I think in terms of the diverse pool of what we are now putting technology behind um, is definitely growing up, you know, in terms of it's not just... A CRM and an ATS. I remember going to conferences years ago and that's the only things that you'd see. And now you've got AI matching tools and multi-posters that are driven by personal personas. And, you know, there's so many different things. So I think it's maturing in that sense. But I also think there's always been an appetite in HR to, to want to take on tech and to absorb it. Whether or not they've always been given the budget by a business to do that, I think is, is interesting. I think, you know, we're putting more money behind our, our tech um, teams. But in terms of, you know, 
as as a as a whole appetite. I don't think we're growing up. I think it was always there. I just don't think it's been allowed to flourish as much as it has now. I don't know if I that makes sense, but that's just my no, my no. thought. <laughs> I mean, I think it's flourishing. I think it's flourishing because there's an explosion in the tools that are available on the market. And, and I think it is entirely right now that people are seeing that these tools are the way to invest, are the way to, to grow that the offering that they have. Yeah. We know that employee experience is so important right now. We totally. know that there are, with the great resignation, with quiet quitting, with all of these kind of trends going on there, ways to engage and to to keep that that mission people bought into yeah. what you're doing purpose-wise as an organization it's all very well when we've got someone like joel who that is his purpose that is his mission yeah. but if you're an employee i don't know 400 and something of a business you're a little bit further from that so that the, the yeah. tools that allow you to feel connected are so important yeah yeah and i actually think interestingly i think it's easier being employee 400 than it is being employee 50 like i think i think mm. there's a weird um Companies normally that are within the first 20, all of them really buy into the mission of the business, regardless of what it is, because they're part of that founding team and they're getting into the startup and it's all guns are blazing. And then when you're on the other side of it, when you're 400, you know, you've got great support systems, you've got all the infrastructures that you need, you probably have a great benefits package, because all of that's set out for you, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. It's that kind of, you know, 50 to 100 marker, it's like, you're not quite a startup. So you've not got all the buzz and all the great stuff of being in that really small business. And you're not really a big business either. So you're not got all the support and all the infrastructure and you're kind of falling in that that middle bit I actually think that's the hardest business to to kind of join and I think it's those businesses that oftentimes put things like pre-boarding and onboarding and culture and recognition and all of that on the long finger and hire Mm. those types of roles at a later stage because they think kind of think well we're not big enough for that yet but actually it's those companies that probably need it the most because they're kind of falling you've got a lot of employees falling through the gaps there and I think that that's an interesting space to look at yeah absolutely look that was paris we had a great time unleash thank you for inviting us thank you for our booth on the floor the ability to interview so many interesting people as i say have a look in the show notes sign up to tech talks extra where you can listen to all of that content in full all 11 interviews it's going to be good fun putting that together i'm not quite sure how we're going to do that but it will be there by thursday last thing we're going to leave you with another very short interview um which we have recorded with the communications team at web summit which has sold out seventy thousand attendees it's in the first week of november in lisbon uh so it's gonna be really interesting to hear from them what they're excited about but jess what are you excited about because you're hosting a dinner for startup founders Woohoo! yeah so i am hosting a dinner i say dinner it's more of a wine tasting with some food accompanying it uh, that's dinner that's dinner right yeah. uh, it's, I'm Irish. It's my version of dinner. So yeah, we're, we're hosting a dinner for all of the lovely podcast guests that, that you've had on. And then also just people that, you know, are really inspiring in this space and doing something a bit different. So yeah, place the limited. Any of the, the listeners out here that find themselves in, in Web Summit, definitely drop me a note. If we can't fit you into that, we'll fit you into another wine tasting session. Um, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And the fact that it's now sold out, I think it's going to be Lisbon is a massive, right? The, the whole yeah, yeah. of Lisbon is going to be at Web Summit, I would imagine. Well, the whole, the whole of the tech industry, it's, it's Davos for geeks. Um, <laughs> look, if you're interested in that, if you're a founder and you'd like to get together with some other founders and you're in Lisbon and you don't really have any plans on the Wednesday, Wednesday night, which I know, having been to Lisbon several years in a row, that there are quite often nights where you go, what am I going to do? Who am I going to eat dinner with? Or have wine tasting with? Um, 
then get in touch. Either Jessica Kilkenny Roddy or myself, David Savage, on LinkedIn. Uh, spaces are limited, so get in touch quickly because you might be disappointed if you don't get in touch quickly. But let us know if you're interested and we can pick up that conversation. But here's our chat with Web Summit. Thank you for listening to today's show. Jess, thanks for taking the time to join me. Thank you for having me. So I'm chatting to Catherine, Director of Communications at Web Summit. That must be a fairly big role on the 18th of October. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone is, um, it's like, uh, it's been described almost like when you're on a film set, generally the team is quite small all year round, but then it gets bigger and you have a lot more to be doing a few times a year. So generally it's very hectic around now. We never get any Halloween celebrations. I haven't celebrated Halloween in years. <laughs> Out of interest, do you, do you watch any of those kind of festival disaster um, documentaries on Netflix, like Woodstock '99 or or Fire Festival, I, and kind I of look have, and go, yeah. "Oh my God, what are they doing?" <laughs> I always think who was on the who was on the comms team uh, in those situations. <laughs> The poor PR people. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Well, look, Web Summit, absolutely not a disaster. It's uh, in it is well in its groove. Been in Lisbon for how many years have you guys been been going to Lisbon now? Is it six, seven? Oh, it's since 20, 2016 was the first year. Yeah. yeah. So that's seven, eight? Yeah. And look, we've obviously had the interruption of, of the COVID-19 pandemic. It was physically back last year, and I was there, and I, th- I think you had about 40, 45,000 attendees last year. 42 um, officially, yeah. Right. But this year, sold out, fastest selling Web Summit ever. I mean, what does that say to you about where we're at and, and the industry? Yeah, record breaking. Like, it's, it's, it's wild. Um, the pent up demand, I think, for real life events. Um, we did the virtual for a few years and it was great as an alternative, but we even saw last year, um, we obviously had to cap it at 42 for because of COVID and safety precautions. Um, and we also realistically only had like six months since we knew that it, w- that it could happen in June 2021. We then had six months to plan it. Um, generally, we have a whole year. So um, that was that was interesting. But then... Um, yeah, as soon as we knew that we could like bring it back to its full size, um, the tickets just, they sold out, the partnerships actually sold out about two months before the mm. event. Um, startups sold out about four weeks before and then the tickets sold out three weeks before. So um, yeah, all around it's just like, and it's a hard, it's a hard sellout. So generally we'd have to shut tickets down the weekend before the event for security reasons, um, just for, you know, size capping and stuff like that but then uh yeah this year it was a hard sell like three weeks before so look i I think the interesting point there you mentioned about the startups you you say the startups sold out four weeks before the event with two thousand three hundred startups joining from more than 100 countries i think web summit's got to the size now where yeah all right i I know that there are going to be kind of um the the speakers from the likes of apple and microsoft and google and footballers and politicians and whatever else that's just the nature of the beast of the organization and and the and the program that it is but why do you think the startups have come back in such numbers and so early because that's that's really interesting right mm. web summit has always been about the next generation like if you look at people um the ceos that came in 2012 2013 they weren't as well known and now they're household names. So when Elon Musk came, when Jack Dorsey came, 
all these tech companies were actually quite early stage when you think about it. And now they are obviously some of the biggest tech companies in the world. So when you come to Web Summit, it is all about discovering and meeting the next generation of future tech leaders and those early stage startups that are that and and even growth stage as well that come and they are going to be the ones to watch over the next 10 years and then you know in 10 years time they'll probably be worth billions and they won't be (laughs) going to web summit maybe but um yeah, it is. It's. I. I think it's the probably the largest gathering of like early stage entrepreneurs in the world. Um, in that regard, um, and they come because it's it's one of the best places for networking. As you know, you've come before. It's fun, mm. and we make sure that everyone gets the the value they they need. If you want to come and you want to meet one of your peers, you can. If you want to come and you want to meet an investor, you can. If you want to come and meet a journalist, you can. Um, and we build enough things around the event that make sure that you get those. Um, that I mean, we call it engineering serendipity because a lot of it is based on the software that we run as well, which does complement the, the physical element of the event as well. So you can mm. chat to people on the apps and everything. But besides that, the whole event, there's mentor hours, office hours with investors. We just build so much around the event that makes sure that startups can come and actually meet the right people um, and and have that face-to-face time. And that could be in an organized way or that could be at Night Summit when yeah. um, when you're having pints on, on Pink Street in Lisbon, you know. I am forever telling people who go that they need to go with a clear plan because it's so colossal that if you go and you just kind of wander aimlessly you might mm. not achieve much but because there is so much on offer it can it can almost be overwhelming and you need to kind of go right sit down have a look at what what really is going to kind of be of relevance and importance to me in the time that I've got there yeah. um with that in mind you've got four new stages verified book summit security summit and crypto so there's loads more for people to discover there yeah. but from your perspective as director of comms what what are you looking forward to this year what's new that kind of you kind of go ah oh, that's that's different that's cool I just love the um the verified stage. I think that's yeah. that's yeah, yeah. Um I find personally I find that really fascinating. Um and we are also going to run and it's invite only now, but we're going to be bringing NGOs from the Obama Foundation, from the United Nations Development Program as well. Um to meet uh, a lot of these like world leading influencers and content creators and they're just finding brand new ways to um to commercialize content and in terms of content ownership i think it's also really fascinating we've the ceo of OnlyFans coming and um, speaking with lottie moss and that is a whole new way for people who are you know creating it, it you know if you go on tiktok some of the content is absolutely like it's fantastic mm. <laughs> it's why people are um i i think why people go on that uh, uh app so much but you need to find ways and and these content creators are finding ways to be able to commercialize that and you know people are building more platforms to allow those content creators to own to own their own content rather than you know just posting it up for free so i find that whole industry itself um really really fascinating um, as well as that, um, one program that we've been running for the last few years now is Impact, where we go out and we specifically want to meet and bring in some of the most um, 
interesting and I guess high potential for growth and scale startups and um, that are addressing climate change so that could be decarbonization um and you know cleaning the oceans whatever kind of even some data analytics tool that's helping companies manage their manage their waste and stuff like that we want to see that sophisticated technology at web summit um, mm. and make sure that those startups and those founders within that space meet the right impact investors at the conference as well so you have you know the investors with the large pockets and the people with the ideas that can come together and hopefully come up with some scalable solution to address climate change because that's obviously it's interesting because each event there's going to be um a a, a a different topic i mean this year we're obviously going to be talking a lot about the looming recession and the economic turmoil and what the outlook for uh, startups will be for 20 like going into 2023 and mm. um, but like over the years we've always always had to deal with this kind of ongoing climate crisis um and uh you know you could have you could look at cop 27 that bring the you know the world leaders and all those organizations from around the world to to discuss these things and to agree and spend days and days and days trying to come and come down on some agreement um but then at the same time at web summit you have a lot of these really young bright innovative founders who are you know coming up with the solutions um or and they're a big part of you know addressing climate change as well and I don't think that can be ignored how much technology is going to be helping us through through the climate crisis I guess absolutely look one last thing before I let you go uh we were talking about content obviously the tickets are sold out for this year's uh conference but if someone wanted to get a flavor of what's going on at web summit this year how might they how might they do it despite not being physically there Despite there's definitely ways you could probably watch a live stream across any of those social social media channels like Twitter and um, our center stage will be um, streamed live and probably following the hashtag seeing what's coming out our blog as well and um, we have a great content team that that run around and try to get as much things on stage onto um, any of our any of our social media pages after as well but um Yeah, I think one thing that we've noticed as well is people who ultimately do maybe buy a ticket early on in the cycle and can't make it, they can still access everything through the app. And um, so they can still connect with everyone through the app and they can still um, you know, find ways to 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 meet people even if it is on online yeah. really as well. We do find that. Well, look, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I don't envy your next couple of weeks, but at the same time, I, I probably do because it's probably very exciting. <laughs> it's fun. It is fun. It genuinely, genuinely is fun. You just get this adrenaline buzz that's uncomparable to any other time of the year. Um, and then we all, uh, we genuinely need about two weeks to, to calm down. <laughs> I bet. Well, look, Absolutely. good luck. Yeah, yeah. Thank you and very thank much. And thank you for your time. Thanks so much, David. Cheers.